This is your girl Shakina and I'm with my girl Shara and we are the Black Woman Reborn. This is a podcast where we have raw, honest, captivating, and informative conversations about issues that affect Black women in their personal and professional lives. Welcome to the Tribe. Tribe, the time has arrived. We have made it to the final episode of the first season of Black Woman Reborn and what an incredible journey it has been. We launched the Black Woman Reborn podcast on Juneteenth, talking about the rich history of this holiday and the importance of upholding the tradition of celebrating African-American holidays that our ancestors have created and prioritized in modern day times. Since then, we've discussed everything from cancel culture to the Black woman's powerful place in politics. We are so excited to have you all walk alongside us as we continue to use this platform to build community and networks of Black women and our allies through dialogue rooted in issues and topics that affect Black women in our personal and professional lives. We thought it would be very befitting to invite our very first male voice to the tribe meeting for our season finale to discuss a seemingly trending topic, protecting Black women. In 1962, Malcolm X delivered a speech in Los Angeles in which he spoke to, for, and about Black women. He talked about what it means to be a Black woman in America and the negative ways in which he has witnessed Black women being mistreated in this country. In this speech, he called on Black women to be more introspective about how we internalize society's loathing of who we are from everything to our style, bodies, our hair, and our power. He asks questions like, who taught you to hate the color of your skin? Who taught you to hate the shape of your nose and your lips? And he stated one of the most powerful reused quotes of modern day times. The most disrespected person in America is the Black woman. The most unprotected person in America is the Black woman. The most neglected person in America is the Black woman. This quote has resurfaced many times over the past couple of months in the wake of Breonna Taylor, and we wanted to take the time to unpack what it really means to protect the Black woman with the brother we both deeply admire, Sharif Valentine. Sharif, who I call my partner in crime, like Malcolm X, has an unwavering commitment to show up for Black women and is always deliberate and intentional in how he does so. Sharif and I, partner in a lot of training and education work. So I've seen firsthand how he and his actions and his decisions show up for Black women. We are honored to have him join us in this discussion, which will be the first of many discussions talking about protecting Black women. So without further ado, welcome to the tribe, Sharif. Tell us a little about yourself. First, I want to say how much I appreciate you guys bringing me on and being the first male voice to come on on this subject. It's absolutely humbling. And sisters like you guys are a huge part of how I got to the frame of mind that I am today, you know, listening to my sisters. So my background is I'm an Army veteran. I grew up in, you know, New Jersey, a little bit in Virginia. I have two grandmothers that were school teachers. You know, my mother's a nurse, all union families. 
I come from a union background. I was a union leader. When I got out of the military, I did a lot of administrative work for Department of Defense, helping them build systems, a lot of conflict resolution, things like that. Now I work for a union, basically as a labor consultant, helping you know people get their labor stuff together. Aside from all of that, throughout that whole process, I've always been an activist in the community, but never really like, you know, just a activist to be an activist. For me, it's always been thoughtful activism. You know, why are we doing what we we're doing? What are we targeting? And, you know, who are we trying to empower? So that's how I got here. Shout out to labor, shout out to unions and union families. I think that's where we all come from, that labor background, that activism background. And just jumping right into it, Sharif and Shara, we're going to talk about protecting the Black woman. Doing a lot of research, I have saw a lot of clips on YouTube, on Instagram, a lot of people talking about what it really means to protect the Black woman, to protect our mothers, our granddaughters, and our sisters. When I look at the word protect, and we dissect it, pro is in the front, meaning tech is to cover. Protect in the whole definition is to keep safe from harm or injury. Aim to preserve, preserve it in its natural state. So when I think about protecting the Black woman, when I read to preserve in its natural state in the time that we're in right now with social media and all the women that we see and how women are Black women, especially, are we preserving Black women in their natural state? What does that mean to you, Sharif? What does the word protect? and protecting Black women mean to you? You know, first and foremost, if we're going based on that definition, we are not protecting Black women. We are protecting Black men. And what men are doing is protecting and preserving ourselves. We are out front and we are preserving our way of life. And so based on the definition, the answer is we are not protecting Black women. You know, it's ironic, you know, we opened this with Malcolm X. You know, Malcolm X talked about how unprotected Black women were. And again, everything is connected. It goes back to, you know, redlining when Black families could not buy homes. And so, you know, they were having to live two or three families in one home. And, you know, within that family union, these are people that could afford houses. These weren't, you know, poor people. These were people that could have easily bought a four-bedroom house out in the suburbs. They were not allowed to. And so you have all these families living in the same homes and you have these little girls that are having to grow up with absolutely no privacy, without the ability to actually go from being a little girl to being a woman just around a protected unit of family. You know, you got an uncle, but your uncle ain't your father. And when you have to share a bathroom with other grown men while you're growing up, it starts from these things, right? And then it's this idea that what are we protecting? Are we protecting a framework that we have built around Black women where we believe that a Black woman is safe if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, i.e. also being submissive. And then if you submit to me and you operate within my framework, then I'll ensure that you're safe. And so if that's the definition of keeping Black women safe, then it's without a doubt why over the centuries, Black women have decided to pass on that offer. You know, going back to labor. If I'm going to do the work anyway, what is the benefit of me taking your offer and still doing the exact same amount of work? I might as well cut out the middleman and do it myself, mm -hmm. right? And so I feel like that's where a lot of our sisters are right now. We're talking about education in the Black community. We're talking about healthcare in the Black community. We're talking about future progress and wealth in the Black community. These are all things that Black women, at least over the last 
40 to 20, 20 to 40 years have been holding on their backs, like almost like an IOU. Like they're holding this on their shoulders with this idea that one of these days, the rest of us are going to get our stuff together. And then when that happens, the amazing part about that is, is that at the end of that, somehow there's an understanding that black men just going to take that and run with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Run with, you ain't do no work. How do you get to take something and run with it? Like right. the idea that somebody's going to do all of this work just for you to enjoy it. And that's going to be that. And that's like a universal almost understanding in our community. Like mm-hmm. we just got to, we just got to get these people back on their feet and yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. But what about the people who have spent a generation building and in some cases, just like Samson holding up the walls, mm. right? Just holding up the walls so that their kids can get to the next generation so that they can figure it out. Right. I mean, I see it on social media and it frustrates me because it's kind of like we mix and match the conversations, right? Like, so like me growing up, I come from black and, and brown women. And so growing up, I grew up in East Orange, New Jersey. We didn't have like, it, it definitely wasn't the suburbs, put it that way. <laughs> so you had these little girls in the hood that were tough. They were rugged. You didn't mess with them, this, that, the other. And as a young kid, and even as a young adult, I was like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Shorty is tough, this, that, the other. But it never dawns on you how much that little girl has to lose to be that tough. Mm. She's that way because she lost her childhood. Mm. Like this little girl has been a grown woman since she was 12, 13 years old. Come on, sure. Right. And so even when you see like teen parents, you have a kid at a young age. If you and your girlfriend have a kid at 14 or 15, you really didn't have a kid at 15. She did. Come on. Because you continue to you you can have your life. Yes. Nobody's really gonna track you down. Maybe her dad may come looking for you. But aside from that, ain't nobody else looking for you. Right. As a teen mom, I can totally relate to that. And then we talk about the stigma. That stigma isn't attached to that young man. It's attached to that young mom. Correct. And if Mm -hmm. his parents really don't want to deal with it, then what they do is shame and humiliate the mother. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And blame it on her. Then we start wanting to play the stupid games where we have mothers out there literally arguing that their son should not be paying child support. Come Come on. That to me is like, that is, that's just, I can't even wrap my head. As somebody who actually gets child support, actually <laughs> receives child support, I can't wrap my head around any mother making the argument that it's okay for their son not to take care of their child. Right. And actively fighting against it. And actively their son. <laughs> right. So that's another one of those things, right? Where we talk about protecting Black women. So we're talking about protecting Black women, but we're demonizing Black women for using the system to afford themselves of something that they're being denied. Right. For their children. Correct. Right. You don't put child support on somebody because they're taking care of their kids. And if you are taking care of your kids and your children's mother or father puts you on child support, it shouldn't change your life at all because right. you was already doing it. Only difference is you send in a check somewhere different. Right. And, and, so, it, and it says a lot to that man that you even have to be put on child support or correct. a woman or a woman. <laughs> correct. Let's be honest. You could have gone down there and put yourself on child support. See, the only time you have an issue with child support is if the child support office hits you with a number that you don't agree with. That you don't agree with. And I'll tell you right now, whatever the child support office tells you, unless you're a billionaire, unless you're a celebrity, the child support office is not fitting to give a number that's going to feed a child. That's right. That's just out and out facts. 
Whatever the child support number comes out as, guaranteed you cannot support a child on that. The day-to-day living expenses of children cost way more than what a lot of these men give credit for. Correct. And asking for that amount and asking for that assistance towards your child, your Mm -hmm. own child, your flesh and blood, that makes you a demon now. Right. To a whole community of people, you a sellout. And I just want to take a step back because you just opened up, like, you said so much. (laughs) And and what you just said, like, so much is so loaded. Just to kind of take a step back, right? We talked about this whole idea of protecting Black women is nothing new. But if I'm honest, I cannot remember a time more recently than these past couple of months that I've seen those words on social media, that I've heard those words being said, protect Black women, as much as we've seen it over the past couple of months. Specifically since March 13th, 2020, when law enforcement entered the home of a 26-year-old woman by the name of Breonna Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky, and shot her to death. From there, we've seen this kind of emergence of this concept of we need to protect Black women. But I like how when you opened up in your explanation of what it means to protect Black women in your eyes, it wasn't solely about police brutality. That's the lens that we've been seeing it. But I like how you framed it in a way that it's bigger than that. And you even talked about how it starts from childhood. Our Black girls are fighting against so much. And let's be honest, it's not always attacks coming from the outside. coming from our own family, right? You talked about the uncle who's not the uncle, right? And these are are the conversations that we need to be having when it comes to protecting Black women and our girls. I want to just jump on what you said to Sharif and Shara. Do not sexualize our young girls at a young age. And we need to recognize the predators in our families and in our soul. Because if Uncle Bobby... We know he a predator. Why is he even at our door? Why are we accepting him? So again, to tell a young girl, go in the room, put some clothes on. When she got on shorts and a t-shirt, she's in the privacy of her own home with shorts and a t-shirt on. If you know uncle so-and-so, cousin so-and-so, or your friend coming on over and he creepy, he shouldn't be there anyway. You right. should be friends. And these, and we talk, we keep on throwing around the word generational. Like, these are people from generation to generation that even if you have an inkling that quote unquote uncle, you know, uncle Charles, he looks at you the wrong way. If he looked at you the wrong way when you were 15, he's going to look at your daughter the wrong way. And she's going right. to have those same feelings. Yeah. And we say all that to say that, you know, of course, you know, the recognition of protecting black women is emerging alongside a uh, movement against police brutality. Mm-hmm. However, we need to know that what needs to come in these conversations are is stuff like sexual assault, right? Mm-hmm. Last statistics I saw was that one in four Black girls before they reach the age of 13 have experienced sexual assault. My God. One in four. Right. That means if four little girls under the age of 13 are around you, probably one of them have experienced some level of sexual assault. And that's tragic. We should really feel some type of way about that as a community because this is generational. This is not just going to affect that one little girl that's going to affect her kid because she's going when she has children she's going to move differently which is going to affect her daughters and grandchildren and so on and so forth what it feels like for a black woman to be protected we want to feel secure safe out of harm's way and out of danger mm-hmm. from our own and not just black men not just white men 
but from our sisters as well, because we know that as Black women, are we doing everything in our power to protect our sisters? Are we being, are we truthfully as Black women being our sisters keep? Right. And that, and you bring up a good point. So, Sharif, I want to throw that to you. Like, do you, when we say protect Black women, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I feel like that is more of a call to the Black man. But how do you feel about that? Do you feel like protecting Black women, that's a call to Black men? Is it a call to the entire community? Is it a call to our counterparts? So, to me, like, and I want to make clear, like, I'm not trying to bash Black men. You know what I mean? Because I already hear it now. You just bash Black men, blah, blah, blah. It's not about that, right? It, but it's about, you know, when you say you're an ally, do you really understand what you're getting into? Like, do you really understand what the struggle actually is? Like, did you just jump on and say, I'm going to get into this. I'm going to have your back without actually talking to any woman that you're not related to about what they experienced as black women in America. Right. And I think that's what this dialogue is about, because it's too, there literally is too much of that. Right. You have people who, because they're also black, they understand your struggle because you're a black woman. I know black women. I was raised by black women. My best friends is black women. You know, I got black daughters. Like, but have you talked to them? Have you asked them what their experience is, right? Like, are you consciously watching what their experience is? For instance, we have black female intellectuals that get no airtime right now. You know what I mean? Like, we got Bell Hooks, Angela Davis. You know, Angela Davis, she's a little bit extreme, but she's still a black intellectual, right? Naomi Zach, you got Anita Allen. All of these PhDs. Right. All of these black intellectuals that specifically deal with black feminism, that specifically deal with uh, black economics and the impacts of slavery. All they deal with all of that stuff. And who does Bernie Sanders go give an interview to? Cardi B. <laughs> right. And I'm not knocking Cardi B for getting an interview. I'm not knocking Cardi B for being for selling platinum albums. I'm knocking Cardi B for, for not saying, you know who you should talk to? Mm. You should go talk to Auntie Auntie Bell Hooks. Now, I'm going to tell you why you should talk to her, and I'm going to tell you why this topic is important, but I am not an intellectual for this community. This is not my background, but I would appreciate it if you will find a woman who looks just like me, who also happens to be a subject matter expert on this topic. Now, I agree with that. I agree. Right? Because that's what Ice Cube just did. Like, that's literally what Ice Cube just did. Ice Cube was like, yo, I'm black, y'all. I'm black, y'all. I'm blackity black. I'm black, y'all. <laughs> that make me a PhD in blackness. Let me negotiate yeah. some stuff. Bruh. Oh, you, I mean, Sharif, you're not about to sign to Platinum Records? Bruh. With the Platinum Black Plan? <laughs> right? The Platinum Black Plan. With no policy whatsoever. Right? Any one of these women on this list that I just gave, any one of those women could have helped you put something together, bro. Let me ask, do we not only blame Cardi B, but us as a... Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this is the thing. At at the end of the day, we create our heroes. Yeah. Mm, We create our heroes. Bill Cosby didn't become a hero on his own. Come on now. Bill Cosby became a hero while he was drugging women. If we being real, like, let's remember the pre-Cliff Huxtable Bill Cosby. The pre-Cliff Huxtable Bill Cosby was not Dr. Cliff Huxtable. Right. We turned him into a hero. I mean, and that reminds me of when Cardi B was asked, why does she keep on putting out the same type of music? You know what I'm saying? Like sexual, quote unquote, over sexual. She was like, what you mean? Why? (laughs) Because that's what the people want. She said, I literally did a song that was more low key and it really got no streams. Nobody paid it attention. But as soon as I put out something about my walk, 
it went haywire. haywire. I got all this recognition for my walk. But how do you think we change that, Sheree? Like, what do we do in our community to make sure that the Bell Hooks and the Naomi Zacks, that our children know them and not only know them when they hear their name on their own, but respect them and know what they're talking about? Because we, have, we need a cultural shift here. Two parts of that is we have to stop alienating people for asking questions, right? And we do that in our community more than we want to admit. That's why when you look at organizations, large organizations that have generational problems right now, because they don't want to listen to none of the young people. They don't want to listen to any of the new ideas. They don't want to deal with the shifting change of the environment that we're dealing with. They want to keep doing things the old way that, that they used to do it. We have to stop being that community. So when we say something's wrong with our community, we can't be offended by it. And that's why this conversation hasn't been happening, right? Because if one of these activists gets up on a podium and is like, oh, and by the way, while we having this discussion, less how the female leaders of this movement are treated and marginalized within our movement. Everybody in the crowd's like, man, you know, we ain't supposed to talk about this out here. We're not, that's not what this is about. This is a distraction, yada, yada, yada. We got to stop that. We have to start having conversations where they happen. There can't be no more. We'll talk about this when we get home because we've been saying we're going to talk about this when we get home and the journey hasn't ended. So we never got home. So we're still saying we're going to talk about these conversations when we get home. And when we say that, guess what happens? The people keep laboring and doing the work, hoping that one day they're going to get the opportunity to have this conversation and we keep finding excuses not to do it. So we got to make a space for those conversations. So we have to change that dynamic because in our community, you still got kids who read books and learn different types of things getting made fun of. I mean, I go back home, there's still people back home that say, I talk like a white boy. If we being real, there was people in my own union used to say that. And I'm not trying to be funny, but I'm kind of militant, right? And I'm as pro-black as, as you can get. I'm pro-everybody, but I'm, I'm definitely real with mine. Right. And I'm too hostility in some spaces. Uh-huh. Tatted up and all, right? Like, we got to stop that. We got to stop that. That's why we're not producing scientists uh-huh. and mathematicians like we used to. Right. Mm -hmm. Because our grandparents had no problem putting on a button up shirt and slacks just to go to the store. Mm -hmm. And nobody made fun of them for doing it. Everybody didn't do it, but nobody made fun of them for doing it. So we got to shut that down to where you can be Cardi B and you can be Killer Mike and still fit in the cypher. Right. Like like everybody's got to be welcome. But right now it's like you even if you smart, you almost have to play it on the slick side so you can find acceptance. Right. And so who has the voice? You know, the people that's out there, that's, that's kind of your hood prophets out there. The ones that saying, yo, don't vote because it's the system and this, that, the other block. And they're getting airtime, telling, actually telling these young people not to go vote. Much airtime. Right? We have to create role models and it can't just have pictures of MLK and Malcolm X. Right. There's got to be something in between this 14-year-old kid that's trying to find a way and 1965. And I think a large part of what we just talked about, like we bring up Cardi B and let's talk about somebody else who's been in the media a lot about talking about protecting black women. And that is Meg Thee Stallion. Right. Right. And she's kind of for that generation because I believe she's early 20s. Now she's starting to speak up and bring attention to this cause in a way that I think is relevant for her generation. Now people are like, oh, we have somebody who's speaking up. And, you know, I think she's doing it in a positive way. She wrote an op-ed. She's using her platform and I can appreciate that. And as we talk about, you know, these media images, we need to realize that a large part of this is us. Maybe the word I'm looking for is like decolonizing our way of thinking, especially black men, because when we think 
talk about protecting Black women and the fact that we even have to make that a hashtag and make that a campaign, so to speak, it's because Black men have been socialized to think and to act and behave in a way that does not protect us and does not make us feel safe and does not cover us in our community. Right. And black men need to realize that, right? The way you just framed it is like an awakening needs to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. it is an education piece, mm-hmm. but it's like you have to be very introspective and everybody in the community, not only black men. I keep on saying it's a call to black men, but I do agree with you, Shakina. It's a call to ourselves as black women as well. Everybody has to realize that we have to realize that we all have been socialized. As black women, we may have been socialized to think that this is what we deserve, right? Think about strong black women. That is, yes, it could be a compliment in the sense that it highlights our strength as Black women in the community, but it minimizes our needs. And Black women, we need a lot. We said that in the previous episode. We need a lot. And we need that space to be able to express that we need a lot. Like the dynamic between Black women and everybody else, like, is real. And we have to talk about that. Like, we can't talk like Black men, Black women are on the same dynamic line. Like, when it comes to certain things, it's Black women line everybody else, right? Like in the workplace. And I see this because, you know, I handle so many EEO cases and I handle a lot of, you know, discrimination cases that are directly related to Black people discriminating against Black people. And in most cases, they discriminate against Black people at the behest of a non-Black person. So Shakina got a problem in the office. Shakina's Black and educated and strong and confident in what she's saying. So when Shakina brings up an issue, is the first thing that we do in the office to think about and dissect the validity of what she's saying. No, the first thing that we do is figure out who's going to talk to Shakina. We're going to come up with a strategic plan to pick the right person to go talk to her. And then guarantee somewhere along the way, if there's a black person in the leadership, the black person in the leadership is going to get the ass. And, and it's up to us to say, am I being asked to go do this specifically because Shakina is a black woman? And often, that oftentimes happens. And are we going to identify that and put ourselves on the right side? Or are we going to choose the side that's easier and say, yeah, I got this. You know, I got this. I'm, I'm going to go talk to my sister. And then I'm going to go talk to her in a way where I'm minimizing the impacts of what she's actually going through so that I can get along where I'm at. And you see this in activism, the difference between celebrity activists and activist celebrities, right? So like Megan Thee Stallion is an activist celebrity. You have the ones that are like, for instance, they activists, but they really are a social media movement, but they're not real activists, right? Like they got the look, they got the, you know, they got the backing, you know, they get the airtime, but are they really, are they really about the movement or are they about the likes and, you know, the social media following that they're giving? Mm-hmm. And those people having a platform and actually giving a space for the people that's on the ground actually doing it, right? right? Because when you look at the podium, you would think that these social movements look completely different than what they do. Because most real activists don't got, you know, Fendi purse. <laughs> or you, you know what I mean? Like, they're not up at the awards show with all the celebrities and stuff like that. Like, you can go your whole life of activism and never get that type of treatment. You know what I mean? And so, you know, when we talk about the people who were out there a lot being allies for, mm-hmm. right? Are we being allies with the actual people being impacted? Or are we out there being allies with the image of the people who are being impacted, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So, so then we say, you know, I'm I'm for this movement. I'm all about protecting black women. But are you for the hashtag protecting black women, or are you for the actual protecting black women? You know, the work that's going to have to be done in actually protecting black women, and that also means protecting black women's ideas, right? Right. right? Our so, voices, our thoughts, our, our co- correct. Our all of the 
you know, intellectual property, as it were, of black women. Because you get a lot of these super smart people that, you know, get involved in these political movements with Bernie Sanders and all these people. And, you know, they say, I'm a Marxist and I'm this and that. And they start using all these social philosophies and bringing up all these social philosophers. And a lot of these social philosophers like Marx and Weber and, and all of these people, one of the things they have in common is that they unilaterally left out minorities and women in all of their theories. Oh. Now, if the greatest thinkers of our time left out women and minorities, then what do you think is like being a woman and a minority when people think that those theories that these people came up with is the idea of our progressive movement? Right. And therein lies the whole reason why we have the hashtag protect black women, right? Because we know that there are people out there who disagree with this call to action to protect the black woman and even black men. I've been in conversations. I think I've shared with you, Sharif, about some stuff that has been said to me that rubbed me the wrong way. I'm always kind of like surprised. Like, why? It's just like the whole Black Lives Matter thing. We just trying to matter. That's it. Matter. <laughs> and it's like, you know, protect black women. It's not, it's, we just, it's simple. Why is that such a controversial thing for, why is that such a controversial thing for some people to digest? It just has to be brought up that not only protect the black, when you say protect the black woman, it then becomes protect all women. Because again, not just putting it on black men, but then when we come to our Latinx sisters, our white sisters and all other races, Asian sisters as well, then it becomes now we can't just make it about black women. It has to incorporate all women. No, this we're not talking about all women right now. This is we're talking about black women and what we go through. Find your own space, your own time, your own platform to ad- address that because this is what we're dealing with right now and this is what we're going to talk about right now. Right. And I think a part of that is that you have people that think they're doing it now. It is a huge problem that people think they're doing it right now. Our generation, the tail end of the millennials and Generation X, right? Our generation was the first generation, the 80s kids, where we could openly be authentic. Like you could come out and expect that your parents were not going to disown you. You know what I mean? And even then, you know, like I have family who came out And their parents are always bragging about how supportive they were when their child came out, blah, 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 blah. And then those of us who were like the cousins and of that same generation of those family members, we're like, nah, that's not, (laughs) you think you you were supportive. Like you you thought you were supportive, but that ain't not. And a lot of times it's it's like literally the bare minimum actions that a, a man can take, a black man can take that they think they're supporting black women, right? Correct. Even when I think of, you know, now you got these this generation of men who wants to call black women queen. And that is supposed to equate to you respecting me just because you call me queen. However, in your actions, how you, you know, we can't even have a conversation without you, without you uh, sexualizing me, coming on to me, looking at me up right. and down, whatever that may be. All of those things, as minor as it may seem to some people, that's about how you are covering me in that space. Do I feel safe when I'm with you? If I'm working alongside a man, do I feel safe? as a black woman to know that you're not going to try to exploit me, stuff like that, that it really does connect. And if I'm being honest, calling random black women queen is still submissive, right? You ain't calling her president. You ain't calling her mayor. You're not calling her governor. You're calling her queen, which is still a secondary role to another role. And you know that when you're saying like who goes out of their way and was like, yo, what up second place? 
Yo, second place, what up? Yo. <laughs> Number two, what up? Number two. As like, that's not a thing in any other situation. Right. Yo, what up, queen? Yeah, I don't... Other than England, you know, the queen ain't in charge of nothing nowhere else. Right. I mean, it's because it's actuality. Think about that like that. Right. And I mean, it just speaks to the fact that at the core of all of this, all of this is rooted in se uh, sexism and systemic patriarchy. And the sooner we realize that, the sooner we actually can move forward in a real right. way. Right? Like, we know that According to some politician, any type of systemic oppression does not exist. <laughs> it's a fairy tale, according to some people and some Supreme Court nominees, but we won't have that conversation on this particular podcast. But this elected, the black woman definitely will not be protected. But, but can you can you break that down and from your point of view, uh, Sharif, a little bit more about how you think this issue of the lack of protection of black women? Um, is connected to uh, systemic oppression. Oppression doesn't happen just because. Oppression happens because somebody's benefiting, right? And so I see a lot of this, like, in when I see people voting, when I see, like, these Black and Hispanic men who are waving Trump flags and, you know, they're going out of their way to show you how much they hate a Senator Harris specifically. You know what I mean? And there's people who don't even support Trump. But now, all of a sudden, because Senator Harris is on the ticket, now they like Trump supporters or they anti-Harris. And it's funny because they're like, like they're trying to save all of these black people in California from Senator Harris. And the black people in California was like, yo, we voted for her. We good. <laughs> like, I, I'm not sure if you remember, but like when she got elected for Senate, like it was like a lot to a little. We showed up. We was there. We're safe. If we got to go on Facebook and mark ourselves as safe, from Senator Harris, because she putting us all in jail. Like, we, <laughs> we safe. Y'all ain't got to raise no war for us. You know what I mean? Like, we got T-shirts with her face on it. Like, you know, we still have stuff we disagree with, but we safe from her, mm -hmm. right? So, but why does that happen, right? Because you have some people out there that literally would rather go back to slavery than allow women to be in charge. And that's the reality of it, right? You will literally say, forget it, nobody can have nothing rather than let our sisters get ahead of us. Statistically speaking, women are more educated in our community, right? They're more disciplined in our community, right? And so it's like we're complaining that people are handicapping us as a community to keep us from getting ahead and, and doing all these things, from stopping us from getting where our destiny is. But we're doing the same thing within our own community we're not recognizing. How many women that are brighter than their partners have sacrificed the idea that they could probably get the family ahead further than their male counterpart. And how many male counterparts have used our system of patriarchy to override that discussion? Many young girls have had to watch their mothers, who may have been more talented and smarter than their fathers, have to give up their dreams. Yeah. And that's not to say that, that you shouldn't support your partner. But we already know there's no coin flipping. We know who's going to go first in this country, in our community. The man's going to go first. The man's going to get to try and fail 50 million times in any which way, shape, form, or fashion and still get that support. And then when he's exhausted, then it's your turn. And then if you succeed, he mad as hell. But or or a, takes credit for it. Right. Um, a clear depiction of cutting your nose off to spite your face, right? We It, it doesn't work. But Let's get into a little deeper on a personal level. And you said earlier that you were raised by black and brown women. Mm -hmm. 
Do you feel like the brown women in your past or in your life supported the black women in your life? So my family is Afro-Latinos. So it's kind of, you know, for us, it's more colorism than racism. You know what I mean? Because like if, if you're Puerto Rican, you know, a Dominican or you from any island that speaks Spanish, you got black blood in you. I don't care if you want to admit it or if you don't. Slavery was a matter of what bus stop you got off of. Ser- that straight up and down. Which, which island or which or which article of land were they going to stop off at? If you were lucky enough that your ancestors got dropped off on an island and you grew up in paradise, that was you. But all of us was all in chains. And you have some people that don't want to you know, accept that part of the history. I can show you some pictures of, you know, the way, 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 way back in Puerto Rico. And, you know, black people didn't just get to Puerto Rico with Felix Trinidad, right? Like black people have been in, black people have been in Puerto Rico since, you know, since forever. And I do think that there's a lot of colorism within the Afro-Latino community. And you have people who believe because they no longer have those, you know, remnants of Africa visibly in them, that that alleviates their obligation to their people. And so when they make comments like, oh, that doesn't affect me or like you see who's in cages. There's not blonde hair, blue eyes, Spanish speaking people in cages. It's the dark skinned Spanish people in cages. Like that's who's in cages. It's not people from Spain in cages. And so I I think that you have some people along the spectrum that have that escape hatch. Like they can be a minority sometimes or they cannot be a minority. And so they can, you know, you either either you have the right skin complexion, could that could be your escape hatch. You got enough money, that could be your escape hatch. You know, Steve Harvey, Kanye, they hit the escape hatch. They decided they was gonna be rich and not black, right? So I think we lack support from a lot of different communities because some communities have choices that we don't have. And as somebody who comes from the brown and black community, there there are subsets of the Latino community that if they can pass, they will. You know, and we, you know, we have black people that can pass it and they will, but it's not the same. It's not the same level of acceptance either. So So, given all that you know, and like your family history, which I think is a rich one and one that we need to pay attention to when it comes to even this topic, protecting black women, because oftentimes I I feel like black women have, we talked about it in our, um, the black woman in her vote episode, um, where we had Shannon Reese come on and she said something that was very enlightening, which is Black women often protect all the babies. It don't matter if they Black, brown, white, blue-eyed, Black, black women will protect all the, black, uh, all the babies. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it doesn't matter if the other side and our counterparts don't protect our babies, which oftentimes they don't. I would love to hear from you your thoughts on why that is. Like, why do you think that Black women have this strong sense of obligation to Black men to community, even communities that do not always look out for us? So it's two parts. One, the fact that Black people can come out of any color just because of the, I would say, gerrymandering of our genes. We're one of the only, you know, subgroups of people that literally had no say, no choice in what was thrown into our blood, right? And so we've all seen families that, you know, you got super light-skinned kid, dark-skinned kid, kid in the middle, two dark-skinned parents, blonde hair, blue-eyed baby, and people are like, who baby is that? Like, and, and we joke about it, but don't nobody get shot over it because we so used to that, right? In other communities, baby don't come out, baby go match, it's in the front yard type stuff, right? But that's been happening to us for centuries. Like, we have children 
that come from us because our traits are so jumbled could look like nobody in our family, right? So that's one thing that we've gotten used to. Like we take care of anybody's baby, you know what I mean? But I also think that like there's a certain trait in women that allow them to get through certain dysfunction because they see the humanness in people, right? And I think Black women have that in overabundance because they also have to see the difference in people who were trying to kill them, right? Because during the civil rights movement, while we're watching TV and we're watching children, our children, women, our women, men, our men, being beaten by dogs and having water hoses sticked on them, during that whole process, Black women were still tucking in white babies. They were still cleaning the rooms of white children. They were still educating and teaching white kids how to read. They were still doing all of those things. Like it was, it was not this get these kids and babies away from me because my people are being brutalized. So we have always been doing that. Now, the second part of that is why do black women always seem to like be involved in all these things, no matter how poorly they're treated? Well, it's a simple answer. They don't have a choice. Black women know that they're the last line of defense. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If they don't do it, the community sinks. And that is a burden that we don't talk about enough. Right. Because black women don't have an escape hatch from that. That's right. We are who we are. And like you said, we're the last line of defense, but we're also on the front lines in community, at home, at work, and in the movement. And the only one to get blamed. Mm. Literally. Like, if, if we're being real, I get locked up. It's the system that got me locked up. I don't get a job. It's the system. That's why I didn't have a job, right? I was being held down. When a woman fails, none of those excuses are readily available for them. None. We go out and we legislate all of these things to give felons a second chance. And I have no problem with that. I I think we should be giving felons second chances. But imagine if a majority of the felons were women. Imagine, would that be what's on our top number one on our agenda to do when it comes to the community? But at the same time, we have women that are saying to the community leaders, they're saying to the government, they're saying to whoever will listen, if you give me a chance, pour some resources into me, you won't regret it. And we're not doing that. Like, it's mind-boggling to me. So if I put that energy that I'm putting into ensuring that we're that we're reestablishing the Black men in our community, and I'm not saying that we don't do that, but we reestablish the independence of our Black women in our community in equal form, right? So as a family unit, we need to stop saying, you know, you need to be, it needs to be a mother and it needs to be a father, yada, yada, yada. Yo, in some cases, some kids need to just be raised by one of their parents. It just is what it is. And that's just the reality of the situation. And this focus on forcing this family unit thing to work, come hell or high water, is actually breaking our community, yeah. right? For instance, why don't we have legislation that allows two mothers to live together and get the same benefits while raising their children together? We don't allow that. Why? Because we're so focused on getting the father back into the house. That makes absolutely no sense. And so our focus needs to be on empowerment. And I mean, real empowerment. I don't mean like empowerment, like we stand up on the stage and we talk about our black queen. Empowerment is, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a grant that not only covers you being able to go to school, but that grant is going to cover daycare so that you can go to school, you can do your resume, and you can actually go and apply for a job. Come on, Specifically amongst Black women. Like, that is empowerment. 
how else am I going to empower you? I'm going to empower you by, I'm going to educate you. And not only am I going to teach you how to run for office, I'm going to vote for you after I do. What I'm not going to do is I'm going to go out there as a black man and I'm going to create a organization or create a movement to help black women. What? You couldn't find one qualified, passionate woman for you to support and build that that program or build that process and stand behind her? And that was already doing the work. And it's going to do it no matter what. Yeah. Hell or high water with or without you. And it's going to do it to fit the needs of the Black woman from a Black woman's perspective, not from here, there, and everywhere, or what we think or what you thought we needed. Right. What has been your personal journey in this call of action? And honestly speaking, have you always advocated for Black women? No. So my personal journey, I was raised by strong women. And so my father wasn't around. My grandfather that pretty much, you know, raised me wasn't my real grandfather. My mother's father ran off before, you know, she was born. And my father's father, same thing. He was a gangster running the streets of Harlem. And so I didn't have a lot of, you know, male figures in my life at all in general to start with. You know, I had uncles and, and cousins and stuff like that, but not very close. And when I was 17, my grandfather passed away. And my stepdad, he was in the Navy, but, you know, he was out in the ocean and stuff like that. So I was always surrounded by women. And, and my grandmother had eight sisters and one brother. I had like a thousand grandmothers. You know, they grew up on a farm. They had, you know, decent jobs. My grandmother was a teacher. You know, she had a master's degree in, in education and was told even with her master's degree, even by HBCUs, that it would be better if she taught kindergarten. Because it normally should be men, te- you know, teaching at colleges and, and stuff like that, right? And so, you know, and this again, and these are black men that told her this, you know. And so, you know, as a kid, and even growing up as a teen, it wasn't something I thought about, right? Because I just, I just knew like my the women in my family, you know, were tough. You know, they always figured stuff out. Like we, we didn't have money and stuff like that, but we always figured stuff out. And it was always the women who ran everything. Um, and so in my mind, you know, it is what you make it, right? And it wasn't until, you know, when I was in the military that I realized that, you know, I was kind of sheltered from that, right? Because you, I didn't have a lot of men in my life to start with. So there wasn't any kind of interference in, you know, the women's circle. If you were stupid enough to get involved in women's business in my family, them eight sisters at the top. Like they let you know real quick and you went back to wherever you came from and you didn't speak for like six months. You was like on silent, right? But when I got in the military, like all my mentors were women. And I don't know if that was on purpose. Maybe I gravitated towards towards women because, uh, you know, that's what I was around. But all of them were smarter than me, were more educated than me. I mean, they were more smart, smart. They were smarter than all the men in their field. Like when you sit there and listen to talk to them, I was an ultrasound tech. CT tech, x-ray tech. I was a rad tech, right? And you have all these different modalities and stuff like that. And all of my mentors were females and most of them were black females. All of them had their certification. They had every modality. They, you know, they went to school. They had bachelor's degrees. They weren't even officers. They had all of this stuff. And I was noticing that they didn't get the same play or attention as our male counterparts did. Like, you know, male leaders, 
that were in the same military, in the same unit, in the same uniform, in the same ranks. You know, they didn't get listened to. They would warn people stupid stuff was going to happen and nobody listened. I started asking those questions. I wonder why that is. And got out of the military. I paid a little bit more attention to it in this, when I started working as a civilian employee. You never really see black women getting promoted. You know, I rarely saw, you know, too many white women get promoted. And even the white women that got promoted all kind of looked the same. You know what I mean? Like it was a certain type, you know, and then it was kind of like, even as a black man, I was getting opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And even though I like to think I'm pretty smart and savvy, I know there was plenty of people out there smarter than me. And so I started paying attention to that. And I started bringing on people that I felt like were getting passed up. Like I got handed an experimental team to build a process for this program in military medicine. And the lady who taught me everything that I knew about the program that we were in, I grabbed her. I said, I wanted her. And then I grabbed the lady who had asked questions and was giving ideas, but nobody was listening to her. Both black females. I grabbed both of them because how do you get to me without without seeing them and seeing their potential, right? And so I wasn't going to form a team if I didn't have those ladies, right? And I was kind of surprised at the pushback that I got, right? Because it was like, at the time, I was like maybe 30, maybe 31, you know what I mean? And I'm like, so... I kind of just came in and spit some ideas and spit some game. And y'all like, yeah, here you go. Here's your whole program. We're going to fight to make sure you have everything you have. These ladies been here much longer than me. You know what I mean? She trained me. And I have to actually argue for these people to get, you know, attention or recognition that you're so willing to give me. And so I had to do some honest self-reflection, right? I had to, I had to honestly look at myself and ask myself, are you better? Is that why you're here? Or are you here because that person that gave you the opportunity sees something in you that makes them or reminds them of themselves? And so they can relate to you, whereas they can't relate to these two black women. That kind of was like the, the beginning of that aha moment. And, and as I started teaching and creating programs, creating teaching programs and stuff like that, I started paying attention to when I teach and who I teach with and, and how people react to the male instructors in the class and how people, you know, will defer to me, even if I'm not even the one to answer the question, I was automatically in charge because I was the man in the room. And, you know, at first I was like, man, that's weird. And then I started doing research. And then the biggest thing that happened was I started talking to women, not about my perspective. I actually told them what happened and asked them their perspective on it. And I was absolutely shocked and floored when each and every one of those, those women, some of them, my mentors, all said the same thing. That happens all the time. And it was weird because I didn't like it that it was happening already. You know what I mean? But when I found that it happened to like women that I know for a fact are more successful, more talented, and smarter than me, because these are my mentors, they mentored me, and it happened to them, I was like, oh, wow. Because if it happened to them, it could have, it'll happen to anybody. You know, because to me, the way the the way I look at these women, they're on a pedestal to me. Like these women are some of the the best in the and the way they mentor and, and stuff like that. I, I am who I am because of them. To know not only that this happened to them, but it's been happening to them this entire time I've known them. Yeah, that's crazy. Shar, as an educator and teaching adults, have you experienced this? 
Yes, of course. In fact, I mean, Sharif and I actually teach together. We co-facilitate now a couple of classes together. One of our most impactful classes that we teach together is Racial Justice is Real. Throughout that process of teaching that course, which is already hard enough, there were several times that, of course, Sharif, we would, you know, we would powwow in between because that's what you have to do in that type of work. How are we doing? Are you okay? You good? And we consistently saw how, you know, even, you know, when I presented information, people would look to him. It would be both of us standing side by side in the room. Like come day two, you know, this is a week long course that we teach. Come day two, you know, we decided to play with the audience a little bit. Like Sharif literally was like, I'll stand on one side, you stand on the other. Like just to test it out and lie to you not. You can guess what happened. People was literally looking on the side of the room that he was standing on. So, and we list, we went along with it until like the end of the course where it was just kind of like this aha moment where we made people realize that this is something that we observed about you all throughout this class and it's important, right? And just like it's important to talk about it, um, you know, within a class that you're teaching, it's important to talk about it through the lens of this call to protect Black women because protecting Black women has to be something that, you know, Black men, Black women, the large community and allies something that they intentionally do every day. You know, it's that introspective moment, but it's the moments of, you know, oh, well, <laughs> hey, they're they're paying attention to me, so what? You know, it's the moment where Sharif actually says, I'm going to call this out. It may not be today or tomorrow, but it's going to get called out, and it got called out. It's the moment where they ask a question, and he defers to me, right? So those are like every day. Every day you have to say, if I'm going to say that I'm, I'm committed to protecting a Black woman, What does that look like in my daily interactions with people, even when Black women are around? Let's talk about that. You know, what does protecting Black women look like when Black women are not in the room? Right. Come on. It is something that I know that as a leader myself has experienced, even being a president of a local and having a male vice president Knowing that I'm right, but because you don't agree with me or you just think that you have a better way, you will go to a male that's not even in our realm halfway across the country to call and get their insight. And as a woman, you know, they talk about us being having to be strong or um, having to put feeling like you have to put your foot down harder than your male counterparts. But it's the space a lot of times that whether intentional or unintentional that we find ourselves in so many times. I don't care who told you that. I said that we're going to do it this way because this is how we're going to do it. And if it doesn't work out, I'm willing to take the responsibility for that. But what you're not going to do is go over my head. What you're not going to do is make it seem like the position that I am in because I'm a woman, because I'm a Black woman, I do not deserve to be here. I don't know what I'm talking about. You're not going to do that. And it's sad that so many of us, so many Black women, have to check people all the time. Like, that's not something we want to do. We want to come in. We want to get along. We want to do it. But when it's so blatant, when it's so obvious, Right. Mm-hmm. We can't allow it to continue or else we'll continue to see ourselves in a position of authority, but lacking authority 
and responsibility because we have allowed people to take our position away from us. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's the first step when we talk about how do Black women protect ourselves. That mm-hmm. is one of the first major steps that we have to learn to take. Like we have to learn how to speak up when we are unfairly treated. And that can speak from personal experience that I wasn't always the type of person that spoke up for myself. You know, growing up as a child, I was very shy and timid. I mean, you would have never imagined I ended up teaching in front of a room because I would literally have a panic attack if I had to talk to more than two people at a time. So it's like, you know, just, you, you know, when we talk about, yeah, don't, don't call my name too loudly. Okay. What? I mess around. <laughs> I mess around. have a little tinkle on myself when I was a kid. I mean, I was that shy and timid and, you know, but it's like, when we talk about these awakening moments, like my awakening moment was like, you know, getting older in high school and seeing that, you know, I was overlooked and knowing that I was a very smart kid and, you know, people wouldn't pay me, you know, my, like my attempt, my ideas and my perspective weren't valued. So I knew I had to, you know, start to speak up more. So I think, you know, just using that analogy and just relating it to the bigger picture, like when you were at work, we need to speak up. I think we have a lot of fear of, oh, they're going to label me as the angry black woman. So at this point, I, I don't they going to anyway. no more. I'm not right. <laughs> they going to anyway. You might as well make the journey because right. whether you make the journey or you don't make the journey, you still gonna get the t-shirt. Right. They're gonna know what they're not gonna do. Like you said, Shakina, what you're not gonna do, they're gonna know what you're not gonna do from that point on. Because what you're not gonna do is be talk over me in meetings. What you're not gonna do is disregard my opinion. What you're not gonna do is go to Bob and Billy when clearly I'm the person who is over this project, all of those things that we experience right. on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. That's not what you, that's what you're not going to do. Right. If people really listen to what you said, you gave some actionable steps that people can take if they're really trying to figure out how do I actually implement this in my way of being and my mindset, this concept of uh, protecting Black women in a real way. Like you really said it in your story, mm-hmm. but if you can like clearly list out ways for people to, what does that mean? Like to make it actionable to uh, protect black women. So I think the first thing that people need to do is you need to talk to black women that you're not related to. Like you need to do that immediately. And then after you talk to black women that you're not related to, then double back to the black women you are related to and have that conversation again for the first time, because you're not having the conversation you think you're having. Right. And so you can't see your family members for anything other than your family members. And this is not what that's about. This is not about protect black women that are related to you. This ain't about protect black women that, you know, this ain't about protect black women that you like. This is about protect black women, period. And in order to understand that, you need to actually talk to black women who are not afraid to tell you what their actual experience is. So that has to happen. There's there's no way around that. And you have to believe them. Right. The next actionable thing is that you need to make a decision and it, I hate, I hate to give people ultimatums, but you are either going to support black women in the way that they needed to be supported or you need to get the hell out the way. Right. Because black women nor their allies should tolerate any more roadblocks. And if you're going to stand in the way, then we are just going to run you the hell over. It is what it is. Clean over. Right. And I say this and I hate to put the burden on women, but it's already there. And at the end of the day, if you do a little bit of work up front, it saves you a lot of bit of work later, right? I need these young sisters to be picking up these books. When Michelle Obama, when Oprah Winfrey, when, you know, when uh, Senator Harris or, you know, any of these people say, read this book, I need you to read that book 
And if we got to create an organization, sis, to get these young ladies these books that they need to read because they uncles, they daddies, they boyfriends is not going to, you know, it's not going to get them the book. It's not going to give them the time to read the book. We need to because there is so much education that they're not going to get in school. They're not going to get from their families. Right. And they're not going to get them from the place that they need them from the most because those places need them to watch babies, need them to flip burgers need them to clean hotel rooms. They needed them to do other stuff other than getting real smart. This alienation of women from their labor, from the work that they do and not calling it work. I'm going to tell you, you don't do anything. You just sitting at home. Meanwhile, people are making $60,000, $70,000 doing exactly what you're doing every day at home. So we got to get this education out there to these young ladies. And if we can start with educating them on not just what it feels like to be protected, but what does protected policy look like? Like, what are the policies that leave you unprotected right now? Like the fact that police officers can have sex with people in custody in several states and that's still legal. Like, who does that disproportionately affect, right? It disproportionately affects the people who have disproportionately have the opportunity to be alone with a police officer, right? So that kind of stuff, like that kind of stuff is happening. And how many, how many of these young ladies between 16 and 25, even though that's an issue, when they're getting pulled over by police officers. I got I'm worried about getting shot. Let me tell you something. There's worse shit than getting shot. Can I say that on the show? My bad. <laughs> you can. Y'all can believe me later. <laughs> <laughs> no, you good. You good. But there's worse things than getting shot, right? Any man, if you ask a man, police officer pulls you over, you got a 50-50 chance in being raped by a police officer or being shot by a police officer, which one do you choose? Hmm. He could be like, yo, do I get to pick the bullet? I get to pick the bullet? Or which part, where you going to shoot me? Right? But that's a reality. That's an actual, that is an actual reality right now as we speak. And so we got to do a better job of educating and we have to educate young men separately from this. We got to get them away from the masculine ideology of I do this because I'm the man. I do this because this and you know, my sister is supposed to do this because of this, yada, yada, yada. Because we think that we're doing what's best for them. But what we're doing is we're preloading information into their brain. So it's already there. So when they become adults, they just start doing what they've already been taught. And now they've been taught that not only is this acceptable behavior, it's actually the right thing to do. You're actually doing what's right by asking these women to submit to you. We have to start having that conversation. And it's not about taking power away from men. It has nothing to do with this. These women are out here doing stuff you ain't doing anyway. So no one's taking any power away from you if it's not something you were already empowered to do. You weren't out there doing. By empowering these women to take charge of their communities and grab their destiny into their hands, how is that taking any power away from you? You've had 50 years to do something with this community. And again, the men that are out here doing for their community are not challenged by this, you know? I mean, really doing for their community. The men that's out here doing for themselves, yeah, they challenged by it. Because guess what? These female activists start getting empowered. Well, ain't nobody gonna call me for no speaking fees. Nobody's gonna wanna talk to me about these issues. Again, we have to challenge that. And that means men like me and people who actually down for this cause have to start challenging their male counterparts. And they have to start calling them out for that nonsense. We can't have speaking engagements and you leave that podium and you don't bring this topic up. You just gave a 45-minute speech on Black people being oppressed in America and did not once mention the plight of Black women 
in this country. You part of the problem, bro. Part of the problem, bro. Let me ask you this real quick, Cherie. You talk a lot about being raised by women, mm-hmm. multiple women, in the absence of the male role model in your life. And a lot of critics coming up have an issue, and you spoke a little bit about two mothers having the right to raise children mm-hmm. and being a part of the LGBT community. I won't just say two mothers, but also two fathers. Mm-hmm. Um, people may think this is funny, a funny question to ask you, but it's very serious. Do you feel like women raise gay men? So, like, the whole concept that you can raise a gay anything is just astronomically from the start, right? You are where you are. You're born as you are, right? And you should be raising your child. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But the idea that, you know, like, I, I know poverty. Like, I know, you know, starving people. And I don't know too many starving kids that care who adopts them or care who's raising them. They just happy they got four walls where they're safe and they don't have to watch their back while they're sleeping, right? Like, you know, so to me, anybody raising children and doing it right should be applauded, period. Period. That wasn't meant to come off to say that you do or anything like that. It was more for our listeners who be homophobic or have this disdain for um, the LGBT community raising children. Um, it's happening every day that women are raising men. And you have been raised by phenomenal women that have created you to be the man that you are. So whether straight, gay, bisexual, whatever it is, women are raising women of tomorrow and raising men of tomorrow. So. I just want to, again, thank you um, for coming on this show, being a part of this transition that we are trying to help create in our Black community, because we have a lot of work to do. But I do also want to applaud our communities as well, because I think a lot of times, a lot of negativity from our communities, are um, the light is shined on there. On that, but there's a lot of positivity happening. There is awakening amongst our people. We are beginning to gain assets. Our women are getting educated. They are starting businesses faster than any other race, any other sex. We are doing the damn thing as Black women. So to close us out, if you are looking to help, uplift and protect the black woman you need to be doing that in all arenas de-escalating negative situations when you see shit happening that is not appropriate it is not the time to laugh it is not the time to pull out your camera and record this is not a world star moment this is not an instagram live moment this is not a tiktok moment This is a moment to correct and protect. We need to be celebrating and uplifting our Black women in all spaces where those spaces are seen and unseen. We cannot just protect the Meg Thee Stallions, the Kamala Harris's. We have women that are next door to us that are hurting. 
that are not being protected by whether it's their man, their woman, their families, their fathers that we need to be looking out for. We also, in order to help protect somebody else, we need to be protecting ourselves as Black women. If we need to seek therapy to fix the issues that we are dealing with, that we don't know how to deal with, sis, it's okay to go to therapy. It's okay to seek out a therapist. It's okay to talk to your friend, someone that you trust, that your business is not going to be spread in the street. Sis, if you have a friend that comes to you and pours her heart out to you, it is not your place to go and talk to y'all other best friend about her. Help her. Lift her up in those moments. It is our time as Black women as well, not only to uplift and protect, but we need to continue to look white supremacy imperialist capitalism and capitalist patriarchy in the face and continue to build, continue to strive and make sure that we are accountable in every aspect of our lives. Because when we stay in our lane and we do the right thing, we are going to do the right thing for everyone else tribe. And we want to thank y'all for joining us at this tribe meeting. Thank you tribe for attending this tribe meeting. Be sure to hit that like and subscribe button on whatever platform you are joining in from today. We upload every first and third Friday of every month on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at The Black Woman Reborn. Until next time, see you at the next tribe meeting.